Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. No Joe this week. Joe Valtellini is reopening Bazooka Kickboxing and MMA. I think it's actually already reopened. And he showed me a, a video in there of just how many precautions they're taking to make sure that things are how they should be safe for uh, all of the members and patrons of uh, Bazooka Kickboxing and MMA. That's on Progress Road if you want to pop in. Uh, you're in the Toronto area and visit Joe. You know, he's he's there. He's making sure everything is uh, up to speed and ev- everybody's keeping safe. So uh, good on him uh, and good on the fine citizens of this uh, great city of Toronto as uh, the GTA is now on phase three, which means the gyms can reopen and uh, folks like Joe can get back to doing what they do best. So uh, that's where Joe is this week, if you're curious. And we uh, have a lot of guests on this week's show. We have an interview with Dana White that uh, I shot last week. So, uh, actually, it was earlier this week. It was Monday. So, we spoke to Dana earlier this week um, and uh, a lot of other interviews. We've got uh, Chris Weidman on the show, Derek Lewis, Scott Holtzman. We've got Gavin Tucker, the the fine Canadian uh, that will be competing this weekend uh, at UFC in Las Vegas. UFC Vegas 5 or 6. I, I don't know. I think it's 6 maybe now. Either way, he's competing. And uh, one of the top prospects in Canadian MMA who's on the Contender Series next Tuesday, that's TJ Laramie. He'll be on the show as well. So six guests. So uh, I shouldn't bore you too much with my talking, as I'm sure you'd like to hear from our guests. But uh, there's uh, always a lot to discuss. Uh, let's start with last weekend's card. Edmund Shabajian falls to Derek Brunson in the main event. And I had been very skeptical about the price that you would have had to put on Edmund Shabazian. I think it was minus 365 against Brunson. I just thought it was way too high of a price, and uh, that turned out to be correct. I thought that Shabazian should have been favored. Uh, so, you know, I won't say in hindsight Brunson should have been favored, but uh, I think that uh, that line should have been a lot closer. You know, you look at who Brunson's lost to in the middleweight division, and it's just basically the elite. Um, you know, there's the Anderson Silva fight, which many people can contend that uh, Brunson probably should have won. That was a, a unanimous decision, I believe, for Silva, but a very, very close fight. And um, on one of the worst cards ever, I think it was UFC 208, if I, if I recall correctly. Uh, where Dana White said his favorite part of the evening was that he was boarding an airplane to go home. Uh, but uh, other than that, he, uh, of course, has lost to uh, the current champion, Israel Adesanya, the former champion, Robert Whitaker. Uh, he's lost to Yoel Romero, lost to Jacare. Uh, so these are like the cream of the crop when it comes to the middleweight division. And Brunson now is, you know, he has basically two ways he can go in his career. He can be a gatekeeper for uh, folks like Edmund Shabazzian, or he can try to make another run. You know, he's with Henry Hoof now. Hoof seems to be meshing with him really well. So uh, we might see Derek Brunson make another run yet. In fact, I would love to see Brunson face the winner of Weidman uh, and Ahmedov this weekend. But uh, I thought that Shabazian is, uh, deserves some credit. I thought he looked really good in the first round. He was landing some really nice body shots against Brunson. Uh, but, you know, Brunson's tough. Brunson's not an easy out. He's become a lot more tactical now, has won three in a row. But Shabajian, uh, I still think this guy's got a bright future. You know, he's only 22 years old. A lot of people are writing him off. They're saying, oh, you know, he's coached by Edmund Tarverdian. He's not that good of a prospect. I disagree. I, I honestly, I think that he is going to be a solid UFC fighter who will be in the top 10 for many years. And uh, if he can continue to progress, will be a top five and possibly a championship contender. I still have a lot of faith in Edmund Shabajian. I, I, I liked what I saw from him in the first round. Uh, I thought that he did get a little bit tired in the second. Uh, that fight could have been stopped at the end of the second. Herb Dean looked like he was taking the correct precautions. And, you know, Herb's gotten a lot of flack lately. Uh, one thing I will say that Herb got wrong in that fight is that he waved his hand at the end of the second round, which usually signals that the fight's over. But uh, he let Shabajian go to the cover, the uh, the corner, brought in a doctor. The doctor said he was okay to continue. And as soon as he was even in a modicum of danger, Herb stepped in. So, you know, 
Could he have stopped the fight at the end of the second? I think so. I think it's a judgment call. But, uh, you know, I, sh I don't think he should have waved his hand. I think that if he goes back and watches it, that uh, he will realize that. And the thing about Herb Dean that's weird is he's kind of like, a, he's a referee that, like, goes on momentum, it seems. Like, when he, when it rains, it pours for Herb Dean. Like, he, he makes a bunch of mistakes. He's in his own head, it seems. And then once he's consistent, again, he's consistent. But then he goes back to making mistakes, you know. Dana White always says Herb Dean is the best referee in the business. I think that that's an arguable point. I, I don't think that you can really point to any one referee as being the best in the business. I think that a lot of referees make mistakes. A lot of referees make good calls, you know, that... Even Jason Herzog, you, you go back, like, he very makes very few mistakes. You go back to that uh, fight between uh, Glover Teixeira and Anthony Smith. That could have been stopped many times, but it also didn't need to be stopped. You know, I, it, it, was, it was certainly lopsided. It was certainly looked like Smith was done. He didn't need to continue, but uh, they didn't need to keep that fight going. But Herzog saw that Smith was responding to every single thing, and he was defending himself when, when asked, and he was doing what the referee was telling him to do to stay in the fight. So... Again, I think that's another judgment call. I probably would have called it earlier, but I'm not a referee. So, you know, I would have liked to see it get stopped earlier as well because, I, you know, I think that uh, Anthony Smith um, has a really bright future as a, a broadcaster. I think he's a bright guy. Uh, and I would hate to see his fight career shortened by a non-stoppage like that. And, you know, this is a guy with a family, and uh, you certainly don't want to see any sort of long-term ramifications of a fight like that where it went on for far too long. But uh, I digress. We've got a lot of fights to get to uh, this coming weekend as well. You got Derek Lewis versus Alexei Olenek, uh, and that's a, that's a, a really good card, in my opinion. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, good fights on this card. Um, it might not be; it's not very top heavy, but I think there's uh, some some solid competitive fights if you look down the line. So uh, why don't we do that? Let's start with the main event: Alexei Olenek versus Derek Lewis. And this line has dropped. I think Lewis was a, a much bigger favorite. At some point in time, let's let's take a look here. Lewis, yeah, Lewis got up to as high as nearly minus three hundred. It was minus two ninety at one point in time. That was on July fourteenth. So a couple weeks back, it was as high as two ninety. It's gone all the way to now minus one eighty for Derek Lewis. Uh, one eighty five rather for Derek Lewis. Um, as low as minus one eighty one. Well, actually, minus one eighty at Sports Interaction. So. As low as minus 180 for for Derek Lewis, and uh, it's interesting to me that it dropped that much because I don't see much of a path for Alexei Olenek. I think Olenek's striking has improved quite a bit, but not to the level of Derek Lewis. Where like if he should, if he throws a bad punch and Lewis catches him, this is gonna be it's gonna be night night for Alexei. But uh, you know, if Alexei is able to get him to the ground, he's able to do a lot of crafty things. It's just Derek Lewis isn't the easiest guy to get to the ground if you don't have a really strong wrestling pedigree. Like, we saw Cormier was able to get him down fairly easily. But uh, I just don't think Alexei is going to be able to get him down. We'll see. We'll see. That's Again, it might happen, might not. But uh, I think that this line is a little bit low for Derek Lewis, honestly, at minus 185. Uh, the co-main event, Chris Weidman against Omari Ahmedov. And we'll talk to Chris and Derek Lewis later on in the show. Uh, but Chris, this is the exact kind of fight that Chris Weidman should be in right now. It's against the guy he should beat. Now, um, Omari Akhmedov has won six in a row. He's not a pushover. But if you look at the guys that Weidman has fought, let's, let's run it down the list. Dominic Reyes, Jacques Array, Kelvin Gastelum, Gegard Mousasi, Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold, Vitor Belfort, Machida, Anderson Silva twice, Mark Munoz. I mean, Mark Munoz at the time in 2012 was one of the top guys. Like This guy's just been going through top five after top five after top five guy. 
and then goes up to light heavyweight and faces a guy who arguably could have been the champion uh, had the judges saw that fight differently in Dominic Reyes. Uh, and that was a, a short night for, for Weidman. But now he's back at 185 against Omari Akhmedov, who I think is the lowest level of competition that he's fought since he fought Tom Lawler in 2011. So we're talking almost 10 years. Now, that's not to say that Omari Akhmedov is, is low-level competition. I mean, uh, Omari Akhmedov opened as a minus-150 favorite for this fight. But uh, if Chris Weidman is still the Chris Weidman that we have grown accustomed to, or that we were used to seeing prior to his recent losses... Um, and even during his recent losses, because he was he was winning a lot of those fights, then I think he should be able to beat Omari Akhmedov. But if Omari Akhmedov has made some gains, he's gotten even better than he has been. I mean, we could see a new contender emerge in the middleweight division in Omari Akhmedov. So this is the exact kind of fight they should be putting Chris Weidman in. And I talked to Chris about this, and you'll hear this in the interview. I said that right now is a good time for Chris Weidman to, to bounce back. Because the guys at the top of the division, you look at Gastelum, you look at uh, Jack Hermanson, you look at Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker. These are matchups that on paper Chris Weidman looks to have a lot of advantages in. Now, this, that depends on which Chris Weidman we see this weekend, on if Chris Weidman of old can, can make a, a cameo and look really good here and, and move his way up the division. But uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of good matchups for Chris Weidman at the top of that division if he's able to get back there. So... Take that for what you will. Um, the rest of the fights on this card, there aren't a ton of great names, but there are a lot of really good matchups uh, on this card. So uh, I think that we, uh, you know, J- Gavin Tucker, for example, I'm excited to see him come back, and he's facing just, uh, Justin James, who just had a great win in his UFC debut um, against Frank Camacho. And it uh, looks like Frank Camacho actually is getting another fight in the UFC. I think I just saw that he signed a, a fight contract against somebody. I don't remember who. But... Uh, You've also got uh, Wellington Terman against uh, Andrew Sanchez. That's a, that's an, an interesting fight. Good matchup. Uh, Nazareth Hakparast against uh, Alex Munoz. We'll see if uh, Hakparast can uh, can bounce back after his recent loss. Uh, Loriano Staropoli against uh, Tim Means is a fun one. Kevin Holland was supposed to fight last weekend. Instead, he fights this weekend against newcomer uh, Joaquin Buckley. And uh, you've also got uh, Scott Holtzman against uh, Benil Darius. That's a really good. That's an underrated fight. And the uh, debut of, of Yulia Stolyarenko, who I believe was on Tough. And uh, she'll be facing Giannis Kunitskaya. So, uh, some interesting matchups here. And I think that uh, there's going to be a lot that we can learn from uh, these particular matchups. Uh, decent Bellator card also. you got uh, Michael Chandler against Benson Henderson in the main event, a rematch between those two. So, that's a, that's a fun one. All right. Uh, we also had... Uh, a main event that was never really announced, I don't believe, fall apart, which is as the ongoing continuing of trying to book Zabit Magomed Sharapov against Yair Rodriguez. Rodriguez injured, Rodriguez is out of the fight, and uh, they're looking for a new opponent for Zabit. Zabit is calling for a title shot against uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky's like, well, I'm not going to fill in here. That's not really my role. I'm the champion, so get another win and we can, we can face off. Um, but what I will say about... This situation is you go to Yair's Twitter or his Instagram. People are just ripping this guy for for not coming. Th- like I know that there is a history with this fight, and that it seems like Yair is always the one that's bailing on it. But like, why are we ripping somebody for getting injured? Like I, I'm not going to question the legitimacy of this guy's injury. He signed the fight contract. He wants to fight this guy. At this stage, it's impossible to say that he's ducking Zabit. He signed the contract. He was going to be in the main event against this guy. 
why are we going on his social media and calling him names or ripping him? I, I guess that's the day and age we live in here, but like, let's, let's be real here. You're not going to become the champion by ducking people. It's just not the way it works. And I don't think that Yair Rodriguez thinks that he's going to get a more favorable matchup because he got injured against Zabit. He says he wants to fight Zabit. He's just, he's, he's injured. He's not going to go in and fight him with an injury just to appease the masses who want to see him fight. Like, you, you got to put your best foot forward. And obviously, if he has an injury, I think it was a high ankle sprain. He's certainly not going to fight with a high ankle sprain against a guy as good as Zabit. Would you? Volkanovski wouldn't. Does that mean he's ducking Zabit? If, if Volkanovski weeks out from fighting Zabit, got a high ankle sprain, would you call him into question and say, oh, he's ducking Zabit? No, he has a high ankle sprain. And again, I know there's a history here. You don't need to send me a message on social media and say that I'm a moron for not acknowledging that. I know that they essentially released Jair Rodriguez because he didn't want to sign an agreement to face Zabit. I get it. There is a history. I will acknowledge that, but leave Jair Rodriguez alone. How's that sound? Don't go on his social media and send him messages. Unless it's a message of encouragement to, to get back in there soon and then heal from his injury. Let's, let's be, let's be hu- solid human beings here. How's that sound? All right. Uh, so that's, uh, that's some of the news from this week. Um, we also have found out, uh, also via Dana White, but not in my interview, that uh, Israel versus Costa might be taking place on Fight Island. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, we uh, have the ratings uh, for UFC 4, but uh, I don't really want to talk about it because I'll get too, too angry about how low they rank Dustin Poirier. So I'm going to abstain from talking about UFC 4. I don't, we have a Switch. I don't think that UFC 4 is available for Switch, so I, I have no way of playing the game. I, I tried UFC 3 at, uh, I think it was like they did a release press conference last year. It was a lot of fun. I like playing video games, but I don't have time. So I'm just going to say that based on what I see from these rankings that they have in the game, they rank Dustin Poirier too low. So let's just leave it at that. I think they ranked him 43. So a guy that's in like the toughest division in the sport and has basically beaten everybody in the division, aside from <laughs> Khabib, I know he hasn't faced Tony Ferguson, but he's beaten Justin Gaethje, and they have ranked ahead of him. So that guy's 43 in, in, in the UFC. All right. Well, fair enough. You do you, EA Sports. But uh, I'm sure the game's a lot of fun, and I would have fun playing it. And if, if you really want to, you can probably tweak his ratings and, and make him better and make him, the whatever, the 16th best guy in the UFC, however you want to rank him. I don't know. But uh, I will just say that... Um, it's not a good rating. Not a good rating. Period. That's all I can say about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to next weekend. You got the main event: Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, the trilogy fight. They're gonna have a press conference next Thursday with the other uh, two fighters. Co-main event: Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera. They're really giving Sean O'Malley that push. Plus the rematch between Ankalaev and Iwan Kutelaba, which is another fun one. Ankalaev, I think, is the dark horse of the light heavyweight division. And you also got Marab Devalashvili, another dark horse uh, on that card, taking on John Dodson. That's going to be a fun fight. That's a really interesting test for Devalashvili. Like you look at Nathaniel Wood, and he he got knocked out by John Dodson. That was kind of John Dodson is like the Derek Brunson of the uh, bantamweight division, bantamweight Brunson. But uh, that's a, that's a really interesting matchup. Uh, I'm, I'm I think there are a lot of really interesting matchups on uh, next weekend's uh, next weekend's event. Man, the UFC just like this juggernaut just keeps rolling. They just keep churning out event after event after event. 
and uh, no sign of slowing down, it would appear. Looks like they're going going strong all the way through October with no rest for the wicked. Contender series every Tuesday, events every weekend. You know, it's uh, a lot of fun to watch. It's a lot of it's a lot of content though. It's a lot a lot of content to be churning out on a weekly basis by yours truly, doing the best I can. Uh, and speaking of which, I've got a feature that just started called the Fighting Five, and what it is is uh, I took the top five Canadians, in my opinion, that are not signed to a major promotion, and uh, the first of the series just rolled out, and it is uh, in regards to T.J. Laramie. So uh, that's uh, that's one that uh, is certainly worth watching. I think you know I think that. Uh, TJ, TJ Laramie is a really solid up-and-coming prospect, and uh, I, I really am excited to see him make his UFC debut. So, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time right now for uh, for those who uh, follow the sport. I think that it's, uh, it's really uh, a good time to be a fan of the sport. Anyhow, uh, let's get to our first guest, and... Uh, Man needs no introduction. He's the uh, president of the UFC and uh, someone who has shown some really solid leadership during this time. And, you know, a lot of people can rag on the UFC for a lot of different things, but I don't think that right now is a time where you can really fault them for much. They've just been rolling through these cards. They've taken so many different precautions in terms of protecting their fighters. Uh, and f- fighter safety really has been paramount in terms of the protection for co- from COVID-19. So uh, he certainly deserves a lot of uh, praise for that and uh, i'm happy to have him join me now on the tsn mma show it's uh ufc president dana white happy to be joined by ufc president dana white happy belated birthday just turned 51 low-key celebration because you're past that half century mark yeah it was uh it was the typical 51 year old birthday i worked went home and had dinner with my kids and went to bed so it doesn't get any any more 51 than that well, we've got the Contender Series starting tomorrow night. Uh, it's running all the way through October, I think 10 weeks, which is pretty insane. Uh, you guys are going to grow this roster pretty large. How big do you think the roster is going to be after the Contender Series wraps up? It's a good question because we just made some cuts, but we didn't make a lot of cuts. You know, we, 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 uh, the roster is going to be big, but that's, that's, that's not a bad thing right now with what's going on. The Canadians that have participated on the Contender Series haven't had any success. We haven't had a single Canadian win yet on the Contender Series. Do you see that changing this time around? We've got some very intriguing prospects in the mix. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I was actually talking about that earlier. You know, when you think about the GSP era, you know, and, and, and how well he did for, for, for Canada, you know, it would be nice to see somebody come along, you know, a real strong Canadian that can uh, carry the flag. You mentioned the GSP era. Is there a chance the GSP era gets elongated a little bit? Khabib's name uh, has named GSP several times in terms of a, a prospective opponent to wrap up his career. Is that something that you've been thinking at all about? Well, let's see what happens with Gaethje. You know, that fight's got to happen first. And, uh, you know, um, we just we just hired GSP. He's uh, he's the French commentator now for, for us. But, uh, you know, th- that's that's more what I'd like to see GSP doing. You know, you don't see too many athletes who, who go out on top. GSP has done that and done it very well. He's got the money. He doesn't need the money. You know, he's, he's working for us now in, in a different capacity. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see him go out on top. 
Yeah, it was great to see GSP join the team uh, over at RDS, it's our sister network uh, in Quebec. Um, we've seen a lot of midweek cards uh, recently, Wednesday cards, and they follow a pretty good format. You know, they're, they're a little bit shorter, they've got a, a solid main event and then a lot of prospects on it. Is that a potential model for the future, is seeing more midweek events? No, I think that was just, uh, you know, you'll see some some odd days when, um, you know, ESPN has has a full roster, full commitment on, on, on the network. But uh, I, th I think we did those shows to catch up. You know, we, we, we had, uh, you know, we, we had to catch up after taking whatever it was, five or six weeks off from COVID. One of the big stars of Fight Island, you guys just returned from Fight Island, first event back in Vegas this past weekend, uh, is Hamzat Shemaev. He's an, a name that's been thrown around a lot. His social media presence has grown tremendously since uh, he's been fighting in the UFC. Do you worry that it's going to be difficult to get him fights with ranked opponents because of, of how well he's performing and people being unwilling to risk their ranking to face this guy? No. Listen, man, this is, this is the fight business. And, you, you know, if you think you belong in the top 15 then a guy who isn't ranked should not be a, a concern of yours. Plus, the guy's picked up so much traction and has become so famous so fast. It's, uh, it's a good fight to take. Hopefully, you're, you're the guy that wants to be the first to stop him. Those are the kind of guys I want to talk to. I want to talk to the guys that, that want to be the first to stop Hamzat. His Instagram has grown 15,000%. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw his Twitter following went from like 200 to 40,000 in the span of two weeks. It's pretty remarkable. Um, how quickly do you want to progress this guy? Do you think that he's ready for a top 15 opponent right away? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Um, but uh, we're working on that right now. First, we got to figure out, you know, he, he, this guy wants to fight every weekend. He wants to fight every weekend. I love guys like that. So I, I got to figure that side out first. So did Gilbert Burns. Look where he's at now. I mean, he's going to be fighting for the championship soon. It's pretty impressive. Uh, so Fight Island, such a massive success for you guys. Uh, the bubble model really worked out. Was there even a single real positive test that, that came about on Fight Island? Or were you guys able to keep a completely clean bubble that entire time? Completely clean bubble, zero positive tests. Absolutely remarkable. And it looks like the NBA and NHL are having a lot of success right now with that same bubble model. MLB, not so much. But do you think that those two leagues uh, took a page out of the UFC's playbook uh, when implementing this thing? I don't know. I, I don't know if they did or didn't or whatever. I, yeah, I have no idea. You mentioned that Abu Dhabi could be the new fight capital of the world during this pandemic. How often do you think the UFC is going to go there until some semblance of normalcy is, is restored in, in America? A lot. We're going to be there all the time. This this next stint we do over there, I'll probably end up spending five weeks there. And when you look at the level and the caliber of fights that are going to happen in Abu Dhabi, and, and we're working on lots of really cool things with these guys, it, it's definitely going to become the fight capital of the world, 100%. You go from smooth sailing at Fight Island to this past weekend, which uh, one of the most snake-bitten cards in recent memory. Um, can you remember a card like this in the past where you had so many different things happen in the span of a week, so many different scenarios pop up? Yeah, no. No, this one was definitely uh, very unique. Um, but, but, you know, that's this business. It's the way that it goes. And, um, you know, we're just going to have to deal with everything that's thrown at us. 
you mentioned that some of the fighters that were affected this past weekend that, that were available on fight night would get some of their show money, but not all of it. Uh, is, there like a, is that a case-by-case -case thing where you decide um, how much an individual fighter gets paid if they're not able to compete that night? Yeah, it's it's case by case. Yeah, listen, what you don't want to do, you know what happens normally when you don't fight, you don't get paid. I mean, that, that that's how it works um, in the fight business. But, you know, we obviously want to make sure that, that these guys are taken care of and we'll turn them around as quick as possible and get them another fight. And finally, in terms of fights that are left on the schedule, you guys have a, a lot of blockbuster events coming up. If you could choose just one, just one fight to watch uh, that you guys have scheduled right now, which one would it be? Out of all the fights that we have scheduled, what one do I want to watch? I only get to pick one. Just one. That's not fair. Well, I can't <laughs> not wait supposed to, to be. see. The, I can't. <laughs> I can't wait to see the trilogy with Miocic and, and Stipe. But I also want to see Ortega versus the Zombie. I also want to see uh, Khabib and Gaethje. And I also want to see Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. So there's your answer. Well, my question wasn't fair. Your answer wasn't fair, but I'll take it. Uh, thanks for your time, Dana. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That was UFC President Dana White joining us on the show. And now let's get to the fighter interviews. We'll play them back to back to back. You've got Derek Lewis, who's in the main event this weekend against Alexei Olenek, the former middleweight champion of the world, Chris Weidman. You've got Scott Holtzman, hot sauce. He's taking on Benil Dariush. You've got Gavin Tucker who uh, is competing this weekend, a fine Canadian athlete in the featherweight division, another Canadian featherweight in TJ Laramie, who will be on the Contender Series next week. So looking forward to speaking with all of these individuals. In fact, I've already spoken to them. But now you get to hear these interviews, and uh, I appreciate you tuning into this week's TSN MMA show. Here are interviews with Derek Lewis, Chris Weidman, Scott Holtzman, Gavin Tucker, and TJ Laramie. It's a lot of interviews, so enjoy. I'm now joined by the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, the main event against Alexei Olenek coming up uh, this weekend. So, Derek, this heavyweight division might be blown wide open in a week's time. we got uh, Stipe and Cormier, and both guys reportedly could retire after this fight. So where do you see yourself going after this fight with Olenek? Oh, I didn't know Stipe was planning on retiring after this. It's a rumor. I mean, he hasn't committed, but there's been talk that this might be it for him as well. Okay. Um, shit. What was the question again? Where do you see where do you see your, yourself fitting into this whole picture if you get a win over Alexei this weekend? Um, I think it'll leave me in the same spot where I'm at. Um, because Curtis and Nugano, those guys are ahead of me and they've been winning. So I believe they probably get a title shot before I do. So yeah, but here's the we'll kicker: see. you have a win over Francis, and Curtis has two losses to Francis. So you know, there's a chance you might slip in there. Yeah, we'll see. I guess it, it would be all have to do with the fans. If the fans want to see uh, me fight for the title again, then I'm sure that the UFC would push it. But I believe I'm more a more exciting fighter than um, Blaze is. So I believe that I probably get the nod before he would if they would come down. What do you think of Alexei in this, uh, this situation? He's an older guy, uh, a guy that will try to default to his grappling. I, I don't know if standing with you would be a good idea on his part. Uh, but as a result of that, have you been looking, uh, have you been doing a little bit more grappling in this particular camp? Um, we've been doing a lot of crazy stuff this, this camp right here. Um, grappling is 
we really haven't been grappling because of the COVID thing and stuff like that. And two of my coaches been getting popped from COVID. So we've really been staying away from the gym. And so we really haven't been like um, grappling, but we've been just going through techniques and talking about techniques and just walking through um, the different type of techniques that that I have to do to um, defend the Ezekiel choke and some other kind of crazy submissions that he like to do. So when you say you've been doing crazy stuff in training, what kind of crazy stuff have you done? Um, like 20 miles a day on my, my bike and doing my strength conditioning right after then my, my MMA training after that. Then um, being in the sauna for 30 minutes, hot tub for 30 minutes, just like constant everyday stuff. And I used to only just train like 30 minutes a day and – now I'm training like three or four hours a day. Is that because of your back? Your back's been recovered uh, quite a bit since you had surgery? Yes, yeah, it's, it's because of my back and also um, seeing that I made it all the way to the title shot just by just training only 30 minutes a day and being getting that far in my career, just not really even just training. you know. And I feel like that now is the time for me to really show these guys what I got to offer. You mentioned the coronavirus. Have you been spending a little bit more time at home than you normally would during a training camp? Um, not at all. It's just I, I'm usually a homebody anyway, so I'm always at home all the time anyway, so spending time with my family. But the coronavirus didn't really affect me at all besides my, my grappling side of things. That didn't want to trust too many guys um, rolling around with on the ground. With, uh, with this camp, you've been training with, uh, with Bob Perez. He's, he's going to be uh, in your corner this, this uh, coming weekend? Yeah, he's always in my corner. Yeah, he's going to be there. And Joe Murphy, um, Lauren Murphy, um, husband, he's going to be in my corner as well. He's a great guy that learns stuff from from on the ground. Yeah, so has Joe joined the team? Is he doing uh, the jujitsu element and grappling element of the team now? Yeah, he's been a part of the team ever since Lauren came in town last year. And so we've been working together for a while now. Has Bob seen a, a real change in you um, after the surgery? The fact that your back is, is feeling a lot better, you're a lot more mobile? Oh, yeah. He he, he says it all the time during training. that He, he has seen me moving a lot mobile now than um, I ever have before. And is your weight going to be below 265? Like, Do you walk around a lot lighter now as well? Yes, I walk around a lot lighter. It's all because of um, the surgery and stuff like that. And also, it's just... I've been training more than 30 minutes a day. How much do you think it's going to extend your career when all is said and done? Do you, do you think now that you feel so much better that you have another three, four years of this? Um, I believe I have a lot longer than that. Um, just have to see. Just I've been feeling great, like training and everything been great. I have no aches or nothing like that. And so we'll, we'll just see. Just take it one fight at a time. A lot of people are saying they would like to see the rematch between you and Francis. Is that something that you think uh, would be a good fight? Uh, I believe so. You know, um, hopefully we have it um, next year sometime. You know, um, we'll see. He's explained why he was really tentative in that fight. Um, what was um, what was your reason for being, I guess, having a bit of a slower pace in that particular fight? Um, it's my back. I was in pain. I was just uncomfortable. I felt overweight the whole fight. Um, it just didn't have a great training camp that fight right there. And just being uncomfortable in the cage with a guy like him, it just, it wasn't, I wasn't 
I didn't feel like being in there as well. Did you feel the same way against Cormier? Um, no, I actually felt that's probably one of the best shapes I've been in um, besides now um, in my career before the Cormier fight. And I came in that fight in great shape, and I was ready to go all five rounds with him, you know. Um, it's just one of those things that just getting caught, you know. And just basically right now for this fight, I really can't get caught, even though I'm in great shape and just can't get in the bad positions where I can't get out of. And so um, I just got to be real cautious in this fight, but still be entertaining. So how does one defend an Ezekiel choke? What's the process? Um, it's really you got to put your 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 cheek to your head to cheek or whatever. Just really got to turn it, turn your head into his his head and pump on inside of his um his um his forearm inside his elbow. Are you impressed by his career? Like I, I guess he started. I think it was like 1996 or something. He started his career and he's still going at it, still getting wins. Uh, is it cool to see a heavyweight with that kind of longevity? Um, I guess so, you know, but also, you know, he's been fighting overseas. And so, to me, overseas fighters is, is real padded. The fights over there is real padded. Those guys are, they got some pretty good tough guys, but most of those guys over there are not really true heavyweights. And so, I, I don't believe that he started as heavyweight either. I think he was fighting at 185. So, I believe that over here in, in America, it's more advanced than they are over there in um, in Russia with the um, the MMA side of things. But they're pretty good with the, uh, I guess you say the wrestling, the Greco-Roman or whatever. They're good with that, but not with the um, the fighting, mixed martial art fighting style. So if you fought overseas in Russia for your whole career, what would your record be right now? Well, I'll be undefeated. They probably have a statue of me over there. Well, they, yeah. should they should build one anyways, in my opinion, but uh, that, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Well, Derek, thanks for this. I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck this yeah. weekend against Alexei. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm now joined by Chris Weidman in the Comey event against Omari Ahmedov at uh, the upcoming UFC fight night this weekend. You're out cutting weight. You're out at the, at the driving range in the, uh, the boiling hot weather of Las Vegas. Tell me about how you do this during fight week to uh to take off some pounds. Yeah, well, I just kind of started golfing during the whole quarantine, uh, during the quarantine times. Uh, I always hated golf because I, I sucked at it. Um, but I decided, you know what, let me give this thing a shot since I got time. And uh, I started doing it. And I, I realized in between workouts, uh, in between my MMA workouts, it's a great way to kind of like re active recovery. And uh, I wear a watch, a whoop watch, um, where it kind of like, you know, it tells you how many calories you burn, your heart rate and all that. And um, I was surprised on how many calories you actually burn uh, golfing. So I like to go into the heat, you know. So right now I think it's like 105 degrees out here. And uh, get in the sun and just hit golf balls. And um, I, lose, I lose a lot of weight as opposed to jumping on the mat and like thinking, you know, kind of what I'm used to. I think there's a good way to like break it up. So how much did you weigh when you got to the golf course approximately? And how much will you weigh when you leave? Uh, you know, I'm still pounding water at this point. So, I mean, I'll probably lose like five, six pounds here, but uh, I'll, I'll put it back on, rehydrate it back up. But um, it's really just like burning fat uh, is what I'm focused on still right now. 
Uh, starting tomorrow, I'll, I'll start bringing down my water, and then I'll uh, I'll be able to keep keep that weight off that I that I'm uh, losing on the golf course. And how uh, how far can you hit the ball at this point in time? To be honest, I'm not that great with the driver, I'm, but I'm I'm getting I'm pretty decent with the with the irons. Um, so my four iron, I can hit like 220. So my my my, my four iron is pretty legit. Um, as opposed to my driver where I could, who knows where I'll hit it. I'll hit it freaking backwards. Terrible. So I got, I need a private lesson in driving. Well, it's fitting because you, you're a precision guy and, uh, it, it works into your golf game. That's, that's how you've always been very tactical and surgical in MMA. And now in, in golf, it's translating. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Like, uh, I, you know, I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of years I haven't played, you know, I got a lot of, I have a lot of catching up I have to do. And um, I think you really do have to break down golf um, step by step and focus on all the different types of techniques, just like just like fighting. Um, and it's super frustrating. Besides, I feel like with golf, it's almost like day one of golf, you're doing the full, you're doing what professional golfers do. So it's almost like jumping in there against uh, jumping in there against UFC fighters day one, you know, your first day training. And uh, because you're trying to kind of do what they do you know you're trying to try to be like a par golfer so it's uh it's definitely complicated we got al Jermaine and his buddy just came by messed up my interview <laughs> well it's okay it's nice to have a cameo that that's what it, it was basically like uh he was like an extra in the scene and people will be like hey i know Ex- that guy yeah, exactly who is that guy <laughs> so you've you've moved over to the same management as aljo uh you're part of the new vayner sports so how did that come about uh you know i uh I was in need of a new manager, and uh, the fact that Al Jermaine was happy with anybody—he's very picky, <laughs> and he's very—he's very—he's uh, a pain in the ass. So for the, the the fact that someone was keeping him happy, and he had some good things to say, I said, you know what, I gotta give them a—I uh, gotta check them out. And you know, I always heard good things about Louis Pearson. Um, I met him a few times, and uh, as soon as we got on the phone and started talking, it, we just kind of hit it off, and I thought it was gonna be a great. A, a great match and um i'm very happy i feel like honestly for the first time in my career i got a great management team behind me so i've noticed uh, ray longo matt sarah haven't been in the corners for a lot of the fighters uh at the i guess for the camp this uh, i guess during this pandemic so who's cornering you this coming weekend so ray is actually going to be coming out uh matt isn't um so it's just it's tough because with the quarantine you need guys that you can work out with too those are the only guys that you're allowed to have at the UFC PI and, and be training with you fight week is the people in your corner. And Matt, Matt's all beat up. You know, my other, my other um, cornerman usually is Volante. He, he just had a knee surgery. Um, so both of them aren't going to be in the corner, but Ray is. And then I got Algerman's going to be in the corner. And uh, my buddy who's a wrestler, Ryan Patchbridge, who's an up and comer, uh, up and coming fighter as well. So um, I miss, I'm going to be missing Matt. I already miss him. And, uh, and John, but it's just like weird times, you know, and uh, Al Jermaine and Ryan are awesome. So we're, we're in good hands. I've been trying to keep this interview light because I, I want to be frank with you. I feel like this is an annoying fight to do interviews for. I mean, people are going to be talking about losing streaks, talking about a step down in competition. Are you feeling that way? Are you feeling like you prefer to not be talking about those particular narratives? No, no, I've been there before. You know, um, I've had losing streaks um, at this point. And uh, there's been times where I really wanted to kind of like avoid 
the media, but no, I'm, I'm completely cool and comfortable with my situation, and uh, I'm cool to answer all questions. <laughs> all right, well, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I don't have any real, uh, real hardballs for you or anything. I'm just more curious about it because it is, I mean, that, that's basically what these conversations are probably going to be about, is about losing streaks, about bouncing back and all that. So what does a win over Akhmedov do for you? Is this kind of the perfect matchup for you right now? It's, like, it's a guy that I think is kind of tailor-made for you to have a good performance against. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, uh, a great matchup for me. You know, he's a tough guy. He's on a 6 by win streak, um, undefeated in the middleweight division. And, um, and I think, you know, it's my first time, first time not fighting a guy in the top five, you know, and uh, I think since like 2012, 11 maybe. So a long, long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm excited to go out there, I think, you know, to make a statement, you know, and to remind people how good I really am. And I am champ material still. Uh, you know, I've had my losses. Uh, these were all fights that I could have won and uh, I was winning until you know i ended up losing and that's kind of just like the fight game and that doesn't take away from my potential and what i can do um and let me just say other than the reyes fight i can't i you know i lost that fight too quick to really get anything out of that um but all my other fights against the best guys in the world i was right there you know so um and i, and I still am and i and honestly I, this is the, the most i've actually trained uh steady uh, in between fights, uh, without injury, uh, also first time being in a strength and conditioning program for as long as it's been. Since December, I've been consistent with strengths for three or four days a week, which I'd actually never had done before. I, I always hated doing strength training, never been a fan. I like just competing and like, you know, jujitsu, wrestling, and, you know, sparring. The strength stuff always kind of bothered me, and that might have been a reason why I had so many damn injuries in my career. Um, but I, the strength really just helped me keep my body together, I feel like. Did you learn from the Reyes fight that it, it helped to have a size advantage? I mean, that was the, the fight where you had to, basically probably didn't have to cut a lot of weight. You had a guy that was, uh, you know, a legitimate 205-er. Not that you're not a legitimate 205-er, but I feel like if you look at the Gaslam fight, for example, you have a, a good size advantage against a lot of people in the middleweight division. Yeah, you know, I'm not even saying I lost the Reyes because of the size. Um, it just, you know, he connected on a good shot. You know, I overextended on right hands. He faded back, landed a beautiful left hand. Um, I wouldn't say it was because the size, but definitely size has, size is important. Uh, the reason I'm going down to 85 is just because that's where I'm more sure of myself. You know, I've had more wins, more fights down here. I also feel like sometimes, like at 205, when you're not dieting and you're not, you don't have to be very disciplined with your food. It kind of, for me, made my training a little bit more lackadaisical and I feel like I didn't sacrifice as much um, for this fight in particular because I'm older now it's been a while since I've made 85 I've had to be super disciplined with my food for a very long time uh, and uh, it was not easy to get down to the weight that I needed to be down to uh, to, to then cut the weight you know the fight week you know fight weight week fight week weight uh, where you cut the water out and um, And eating super healthy, having no cheat meals. I used to be able to have cheat meals all the time at 85, you know. I'd have, like, pizza on the weekends and bagels here and there, and then get back to eating healthy. This time, if I would have done that, I would have – there's no way I would be making weight. I just it would, I would skyrocket up. Um, so, but because the, having all that discipline and sacrificing all that, it just feels – me. it makes me feel like I'm 
more prepared for a fight, you know, and uh, and I did things right. So I feel confident about my training more than more than ever, really. Right now, to me, it feels like there's no better time for you to get back into the mix at the top of this division than now. When you look at the guys at the top, you've got Israel, you've got Whitaker, uh, you've got Darren Till. A lot of these guys, I feel like, are, are bad matchups. They, sorry, you're a bad matchup for them. Do you, do you see it that way as well? When you look at um, the kind of guys that you were facing back in the day, a lot of them were, you know, you look at Jacare, you look at, at Yoel Romero. But the guys right now, I feel like you would be a, a nightmare matchup for a lot of them if, if we see the Chris Weidman we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think all of them, I'm a nightmare matchup for a lot of them. I don't think they want, they want to fight me. Um, but my wrestling and then my jujitsu, my pace, you know, when I'm, when I'm fully in, I'm motivated, I'm doing things right. Um, I'm a, I'm a big problem for all those guys. And, um, you know, and I'm not talking trash. I just, I'm just really speaking the truth. And, uh, I think, Number one, I just got to get this fight, get my hand raised on Saturday night uh, and do what I do what I know I can do. All right. Well, I'll let you get back to hitting some balls and I appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Omari Ahmedov. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Take care. Happy to be joined now by Hot Sauce, Scotty Holtzman. Uh, taking on Benil Dariush this weekend. And Dariush, he said in an interview recently he wanted to fight a ranked guy but you're an absolute stud, so he's happy to be facing you. How does that sound? Uh, that sounds good. You know, I, I, he's openly said that. I don't blame him. Everybody, that's the UFC, man. Everybody wants to fight a guy that's ahead of him. So uh, this fight didn't make much sense for him on paper, but uh, you got to get into the ranking somehow. So I, I appreciate him doing that. And what about you? Are you are you driven for the rankings? I read an interview with you. I actually watched an interview with, with you uh, that James Lynch did. And you yep. were saying that uh, as long as you're happy and you're having fun, you want to just continue doing this. You feel like you're you're on, almost on autopilot at this point because you're so far ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I've openly said I didn't care about the rankings. Um, I just wanted exciting fights. But uh, turns out nowadays most of the exciting fights are up in the rankings. So, um, <laughs> you know, if if that's what I got to do and, and it's going to get me a ranking, a number by my name, then I'm fine with that. Uh, Benil, who you're facing, was ranked at one time. Um, he actually had a great knockout in his last fight. Uh, but you're, you're looking to stand in trade with him. That's kind of the goal because you, you see some openings there. Yeah, I, I always feel like my best chance to win is on the feet. Uh, obviously, I don't want to put a wrestling singlet on or uh, my grappling spats. I don't want to grapple with him. Um, so, but I'm not scared to go there, man. I'm, I think uh, people uh, underestimate my game down there. So I'm a black belt, too. A lot of people don't know that. So I'm not scared to go there with him, but uh, why? Why not put myself in the best chance, uh, you know, give myself the best chance to win? But he's no slouch on the feet, man. He he throws down, obviously, some badass knockouts. So um, it's going to be a, a high-level fight, but there's going to be some blood and guts in there, too, and, and some grit. So, um, you know, you're going to see a little bit of everything. Have you had a chance to meet him yet? Because he's kind of off-putting. He's just such a nice guy. Like, you, you, you talk to this guy, and you're like, oh, I have to beat this guy up now. Yeah, it's funny. I was just saying that about an hour ago to one of my coaches. I'm like, and he's just one of those typical uh, dorky but badass guys. <laughs> so uh, I've met him before. It's funny. When I made my UFC debut, it's been about five years ago, he was the co-main event against Michael Johnson. So it's kind of come full circle. Uh, he was up in the rankings, kind of fell out. Uh, I feel like he's had his time and 
and he he's on a tear and he's incredible but uh i'm i'm trending upward and he is too but he already had his shot man so i'm i'm here to uh to eat now you say the fun fights are in the rankings is there anybody in particular you're talking about uh benil dariush <laughs> is he ranked benil no yeah, man, you know, I got to get past him. At this, you know, everybody's so good, top 15, really top 30 in the UFC. The lightweight's the, the most badass division in the world. I think in the, even in the top 30, some of those guys could beat the top 10 on any given night. So uh, Benil Darius is no different. Just got to go in there and, and get after his ass. What do you think is uh, is the timeline for you to be ranked? You said you don't really care much about it. Do you, do you have a timeline where you'd like to be ranked, or do you just want to just keep doing what you're doing? Well, uh, I think MMA math, lots of people, you know, are MMA math experts. So, uh, he's ranked 14. If I beat him, then where do I go on Monday? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's gotta be ahead of him, right? Does he go below me or do I go ahead of him? So, um, you know, yeah, logic, whatever. Logic would dictate that that would be the direction that the ranking should go in. If that does happen, that seems to be how they do the rankings. If you beat somebody yeah. with a number next to your name, then you become that guy. Yeah, so but you never know with uh, with the UFC or the rankings. Depends on how much they like you. <laughs> We've got a big title fight coming up. Uh, it's in October. Khabib and Justin Gaethje. How do you see that one going? I mean, we haven't seen Khabib really challenged much yet at all. But Gaethje seems like a different kind of animal. Man, I yeah, that's incredible. Uh, what an amazing fight. That was one of those where you you for some reason you didn't think it would ever happen. But I think a lot of people say, and I think it too. Gaethje has the best chance to win over Khabib. He can defend some of that wrestling, hopefully. And uh, you know, if he stays that composed on the feet uh, like he did last fight, it'd be tough for uh, tough for Khabib to really get in there on his hips and um, and be effective. But that being said, Khabib's no slouch either, man. He, he you know, he could throw some overhand rights and, and he can wear you down. He's got an amazing pace. So I'll be excited to see that one. That one's going to be a big ticket. How's that family life been for you? You've got a little one at home. He's now two. Um, tell me about that part of your life. Family life is way harder than a UFC fight. I can promise you that. That's, <laughs> I mean, he, my little boy's two. He's redheaded and he's an absolute pistol. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm missing him and ready to be home from training camp. I'm going to get this win and spend some good time with him. But, uh, you know, being a dad is, is giving me a newfound purpose and motivation and all that. So uh, it's been a fun ride and excited to get this win and, and share it with him, too. Kids do a lot of dumb stuff. Any close calls with them? Anything that you've, you've caught him in the act of doing? Oh, man, every day. <laughs> Every day. I mean, he's, you know, he jumps off the bed head first. He does all the typical stuff that you, you know, that you wouldn't think is smart. But uh, daily, I'm just trying to keep him from messing himself up. That's that's my main job as a dad and then fixing everything he breaks. I've had uh, my share of hospital trips with, uh, with the kids before. So I, I hear you. I just I just saved my daughter the other night. She was running towards the end of the bed. You just got to you got to just be on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. He's a maniac. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you missed a little maniac, and uh, you're excited to get back home after this, spend some time with him. You you got to have some good quality time with your family, I guess, during this pandemic. Uh, you had mentioned to me before this, your last fight was just before everything seemed to go south. So uh, that uh, that seems like you, you were able to get in some good quality time. Yeah, I spent a lot of time at home, uh, grilled out a lot, but had a good group of other professional athlete friends during the quarantine. We all, we worked out, we stayed in good shape. So, uh, I did a pretty good job. I wasn't able to be on the mats obviously, but 
uh, stayed in real good shape. So I'm excited to kind of come out of this quarantine feeling real good and um, to let her rip on, on Saturday night as usual. I think we've seen some uh, some more fighters come out of that region, out of uh, Nashville, Knoxville area. Is there anybody that uh, that comes to mind? Because I, I could have sworn I saw somebody recently signed on. Uh, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I know my gym over in Charlotte on Tuesday night, Impa Kasaganai, he's on the Contender Series. He's a big-time prospect. He's been one of my main training partners for a little while now. He's looking awesome, so I'm excited for him Tuesday night. I think he should have gotten the contract last time, but he didn't. Uh, so I think he'll get a contract and, and kind of introduce himself to the world on Tuesday night. So I'm excited for that. What week is he on? Is he on this upcoming week? Yeah, he's on Tuesday night, three days after me. So I'm going to I'm gonna see what I can do about sticking around. Uh, I don't know what they're going to – it's it's tough. They've, they've got everything locked down here with COVID, but I'm going to try to stay around and support him. Yeah, he was the biggest snub of last season. That was the biggest shocker to me is when they, they gave out the contracts on that particular show and he didn't get one. And that's why when you said his name, I was like, I'm glad that he's back on because uh, I thought that that was a very, very weird, you know, Dana usually gets it right, I'll say. But in that specific situation, he did not. Impa dominated that fight. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of had a weird feeling because all of a sudden, a couple weeks leading up to that, Dana started talking about how guys didn't have enough experience and blah, blah, blah. So I think they really wanted the guy that he beat to get into the UFC. But then when Impa beat him, they, they were confused. So. Um, but it's all good. He's, he's totally different monster than he was even then. So, uh, obviously more time to prepare is, is going to be better for him. How many times has he fought since then? I don't have his record in front of me. He tried to fight a couple times. Uh, the quarantine shut him down. Uh, I'm not sure though. I, that may have been his last fight on the contender series. He was up for the LFA belt and then COVID shut it down. So oh. it's good that he's getting another crack at it. Look forward to seeing that on Tuesday. Well, uh, Scotty, really appreciate your time. And uh, best of luck against Benil Darius this Saturday on TSN. Yeah, thanks, and go Preds. <laughs> I'm pleased to be joined now by Gavin Tucker, who will be fighting in Las Vegas this Saturday. It's been about a year since we last spoke, Gavin. Uh, you said that the year prior was pretty uh, brutal for you. You had a, a tough year. How was the year from when we last spoke to now? Yeah, it's a complete complete change of direction. That's the ups and downs. That's how it goes, you know. Um, Aside from COVID, which is obviously horrible for everyone, it's been a very good year of training and progression, so I'm very happy. I noticed you've got a new companion in your life, a cat that you you sing a lot of songs to. That's been fun to watch. Yeah, you saw that, huh? Yeah, she's my uh, she's my best friend. That's great. Well, so she so what's happening with her now? Is she with a friend of yours or something? Uh, she's at home with my girl. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, I, I hope that your girl doesn't mind you calling the cat your best friend and not her. <laughs> uh, no, I think she knows. She's well aware how much I love that cat. So, <laughs> so uh, what have you learned from the last uh, in the last year in terms of your development? How, what do you feel you, like you've grown the most? Um, just really just putting more time into the, the practical stuff. You know, I've been working with a strength coach, Dan John, and really improving my strength and applied strength in my sport and uh, I feel like he has a saying you know it's like 80% of the results come from 20% of the work so just finding out what that 20% is and applying that that work because sometimes you end up doing stuff that's not fluff but you know you can always trim the fat a little bit and get, get specific and me I'm all about specifics so I've really devoted a lot more time to the things that are actually going to give me the victory in the cage you know working with uh, a performance coach, a mental coach now too, which has really helped me turn a corner. 
and uh, I just started deciding I wasn't going to start, I wasn't going to continue fighting to the level of my opponents and sparring partners. Not, no offense to anyone or whatever, but I'm better than I've shown, so I'm ready to kind of just go out and insert dominance from here on. What do you feel like has changed the most since you've started working with a, a mental coach? Or, is that like a, a sports therapist? Yeah, kind of like sports psychology, more like a, a full potential coach to kind of reach, reach my potential mentally. The thing that changed the most is this, it's just helped me really outline what's important to me. And then from there, make decisions, define those decisions. And it really helps with how you approach everything as an athlete. So for me, that was a, that's a huge, huge turning point. And I've really done the work there, which is, uh, you know, going to show. Your opponent, Justin James, he's been around for some time on the regional scene, had a, a magnificent UFC debut, I guess, probably about a month or so ago. Um, what do you know of him and, and how have you been able to break down uh, his game? And where do you think you have the most advantage over him? Mm. Um, I know he's a wrestler puncher. He comes from a good gym, extreme couture. I have a lot of respect for the guys there, especially Coach Eric, who I've actually worked with a little bit in the past. And I've been there at the at that gym sparring and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I know everyone in the UFC is a, is a tough fighter. I know that too. And um, I know he likes to throw big hooks. I, he came out against uh, Camacho very aggressively. As far as advantages go, I mean, we're going to probably have to fight everywhere. I know well, from what people tell me about interviews and stuff like that where he spoke, you know, I think he uh, respects the skill set as well. So we're just going to fight the fight where it goes. Advantages are going to be presented, I think, as the fight goes on. I'm sure he's going to try to slow down the footwork and, and probably make it dirty. I think that, you know, if I were fighting me, that's probably what I would try and do, and that's what I prepared for, so... A very underrated part of your game has always been your grappling, and that really came through in the last fight. Um, everybody had always talked about your great footwork, and that was obviously on display. Um, how much have you worked in that department uh, in the past years? It's just been basically uh, all-around skills that you've been polishing. Yeah, the, the jiu-jitsu game, especially the guards for me, have become a lot, well, completely MMA-specific. You know, I don't do anything anymore that's kind of like, uh, that's not going to work in the cage against athletes. When we're training a lot of the times, technically, we learn techniques, but we have to keep in mind you have to do this against the strongest, most well-balanced um, athletes in the world. So to off-balance athletes from bottom position or to keep get position and keep position, to work on the wall, they're like all individual martial arts on their own, right? Wall work is really separate from, as like a separate martial art uh, completely. So I've just been investing time in the specifics and... Every time I get an opponent, uh, because I've invested so much time in it, I can just select the techniques that I'm going to work for that fight. And then uh, depending on the time that I have out from the fight, invest my time and energy into those techniques that are going to be specific for that fight. How much in your life has changed since that fight against Rick Glenn? Uh, I think it's probably about two, three years ago at this point. Um, yeah. Where, where you were then and to where you are now. Man, that fight was honestly a blessing, you know. It's, it gives you it, it gives you perspective and direction. Places to go makes you humble. I think that that fight was one of the better things that has happened to me, and that was really, that was really the turning point. That I feel like I just started after that when I got back to the gym that Monday. I feel like I had just started. So everything after that, you know, um, has has been upward, progressive. I love martial arts. I'm super grateful to be able to do this every day, and. Uh, I realize that's that's really important to me. So as long as I just keep doing what I love doing, I'm going to find success. How active are you looking to be? I guess you're 34 years old now. 
uh, and I guess your activity hasn't been great. It's been about once once a year. Are you looking to improve on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was looking to improve on it before I was scheduled to fight Billy Quarantella and stuff like that, but COVID kind of got in the way. So I'm going to fight as much as I can. Um, staying mentally healthy is a huge thing too, right? So I don't want to overfight and, uh, and hit burnout and, you know, become whatever. But I'm going to try to fight three or four times a year uh, as much as the UFC is going to let me. And because uh, this this is the year, so. Is it a bit of a disadvantage to be all the way out in Newfoundland because of how hard it is to get from place to place, and you know, short notice fights are tougher to come by. I, I live in Halifax in Nova Scotia. Newfoundland's my hometown that I grew up in, but my my house and everything else is in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We have an amazing team there, Titans. Uh, try to travel as much as I can to Montreal and uh, train with Firas and travel around you know the the globe to take in whatever skills i can get but for the most part i'm there in in halifax and we got a good close-knit team amazing boxing great wrestlers uh primarily a jiu-jitsu based club so obviously great great black belts there on a daily basis to work with too so i don't find it very difficult you know obviously the covid makes it difficult to travel i didn't get to spend as much time with ferrostis camp or uh or a tri-star but uh, he's here fight week and even a, an hour or two with Feroz is always a real uh, eye opener, game changer because he's just, I think, the most one of the most brilliant coaches out there. So um, I don't feel like uh, any disadvantages from from being East Coast. That's where I am. I'm there because I feel advantages of being there. I wasn't trying to uh, imply that your your training was off or anything along those lines. I just meant <laughs> I just meant in terms of uh, like if if a fight came up in Vegas, it's hard to get from Halifax or from the East Coast of Canada in general oh. to Las Vegas in short order. I see what you mean. Yeah, no, I don't. It, the traveling was surprisingly. Um, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of obstacles. I mean, there was a. When I, once I got issued the P1 visa, and I knew, okay, I just put in a, a hard camp, and I'm actually going to get the fight. It's like, okay, this is this is great. So no, no real, no real disadvantages. It's going to be part of the job, right? They're going from place to place. The UFC is a global company, so that that is what it is. I don't really even invest any time in thinking about that. So the P1 visa, like, does that expire after this, or does it, like, does it uh, have like a year ex- expiry? How does that work, and and does that allow you to, you know, if a fight comes up in Vegas in four weeks, they can call you and you can come back? Man, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. Uh, my assumption it was like a fight to fight basis because typically it's I don't know how many days in the U.S. or in different countries. I know like, like places like Thailand is a month, and you have to renew your visa. So there's probably an expiry date. It could be a week, two weeks, but that's those are. I wouldn't be able to answer that, honestly. And uh, UFC is looking to go back to Fight Island, apparently September or October. Is that something that, that catches your eye and gets your attention? Yeah. I mean, again, in the theme of travel, I'd like to minimize travel as much as possible. Uh, to to the point, I mean, flying around the world is not really attractive to me. I mean, sure, it would be a nice vacation, but these aren't, these aren't vacation trips. So... Um, but again, wherever wherever it is, it's a, it's a global company. We have to go and fight wherever the fights are. And I want to fight as much as I can now to kind of really get this uh, momentum going. So wherever it is, it is. Does it, Halifax, I don't think, has many cases anymore of, of COVID-19. Does that make it easier for you to train on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yeah, zero cases for me. But, I mean, I have my, my own like private team there. I bring in guys constantly, which is, which is wonderful, bringing in good boxers, national champs, uh, good good collegiate wrestlers and stuff like that. So I think it does make it easy because the restrictions are a lot lessened. 
and uh, but to a point where I still have my own space and things are really dedicated just to me. So the uh, the camp has definitely taken on a different tone. All right, Gavin. Well, it's a pleasure catching up with you as always, and best of luck this weekend. Thank you very much. I'm now joined by TJ Laramie. In my opinion, the top prospect not signed uh, to a major promotion in Canada, possibly even in the world. I mean, you've been on the map for some time, TJ, uh, and it's great speaking with you. Yeah, not, uh, thanks for having me on the interview. Yeah, of course, my pleasure. So uh, how did you get started? I mean, it's the Fighting Laramie Brothers, yourself and Tony. Uh, Tony is a flyweight. He's about three years younger than you are, and uh, you guys have been at it for some time. Yeah, actually, uh, I know Tony looks a lot younger, but he's only like a little bit over a year younger than me. He's, uh, yeah, he's only just uh, over a year younger than me. But we've we've been uh, doing this for a while, man. Uh, I've been uh, training for about ten years, and I've been pro for five. So, um, yeah, it's it's crazy to see like you know at such a young age, especially uh, everything kind of you know unraveling and coming together uh, with the contender series and everything like that. Yeah, if the flyweight division didn't already have Brandon Moreno, the babyface assassin, your brother Tony could certainly use that nickname. He's following in the uh, the lineage of Chris Hordesky, another babyface assassin from uh, from that same region as you. You're from out in Windsor. Um, so, how long have you and Tony been training for, and and how did you guys get started? Uh, so we've been training uh for about ten years now. Um, and we got started basically. Uh, my dad was a fan, and he kind of introduced us to uh MMA as like a fan. But we were always athletic kids and uh did school sports and stuff like that so um we just tried out a class one day uh and then it was basically history from there you know i got pretty i I was addicted to it i think it was mainly the one-on-one aspect of everything is really what uh drew me to the sport because i've always been playing team sports you know and uh i just like that that intensity of one-on-one and do you and your brother really push each other i mean is that how both of you have become such excellent fighters uh yeah there's definitely like uh competition and stuff especially when we were younger we always train together uh we don't train as together as much now you know just because there's a size difference and stuff like that so uh we don't train as much and uh yeah but it definitely is motivating to have like you know a brother that's uh also in the sport and now you're out in las vegas you're staying with cody stamen who's from detroit uh you're from windsor so i'm guessing that there has been some overlap there in the past Oh, yeah, like that's where uh, I originally met uh, Cody was through Michigan Top Team because uh, I was training there for some of my fights and stuff just because it's like a 40-minute drive from my house uh, to cross over the border and everything. So uh, it was uh, super worth it, you know, just to get the bodies in there, Darren Cruikshank and among other people, Kenny Cross, who's also on the Contender Series this season. So, uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, it's been a good relationship, and uh, I feel like ever since I kind of connected with those guys, it's just been all uphill from there, you know? Absolutely. And you're still very young, but I, I work with Robin Black at TSN, and Robin's called many of your fights, both in TKO and Prospect FC. Uh, and he, he's been saying you've been UFC ready for some time. Does it actually feel like it's taken longer to get to the UFC than you originally thought? Well, I mean, the way I, the way I popped off that first year, like when I was younger, I was only 18, or 17, 18. Uh, I was on a good, like, I was on a... Like, cause, that, cause that's when they were signing like Paige Van Zandt, Sage Northcutt. So I thought, you know what I mean? Based on they're signing these kids at like five and zero, six and zero. You know what I mean? Like a couple more wins, you know, I could be there. And uh, I felt like I was ready then, but you know, I had some setbacks in my career. A couple that I felt, you know, weren't really, you know, they were what they were. Bad decision. I felt like my first loss was, and then uh, 
you know, then uh, I fought Alex Morgan twice. Th that didn't go my way. But I'm kind of grateful that my career got slowed down uh, the way it did just based on how much more experience I've been able to gain uh, from that and being able to gain, um, like, just uh, the fights I've had. You know what I mean? My last fight was a five-round fight uh, against a super tough guy, you know, who was on a nice win streak. And I was able to not put him down, but I was able to basically dominate all five rounds. And just to get that cage time, you know, I'm really grateful for that. And that's something that you can't, you know what I mean? That's experience that you can't really replicate in the gym. You know what I mean? That's stuff you got to go in there and do. And uh, those moments are what really get you ready for the next level. It's not often I say that I feel really bad for an opponent, but in your last fight, you had improved so much. You were going to the body so often. I, I was shocked that the guy was able to hang in there for five, uh, five rounds with you. Yeah, honestly, man, like that is probably one of the toughest human beings I've ever like met in my life. Like, uh, his face after the fight, that and that's not even when the swelling really sets in yet. It was just like he didn't even look like the same person, you know. It was like crazy, you know. Like, the but that's the kind of admiration, you know what I mean? Like that's he has like the mindset of a champion, you know. He'll go in there and fight to the death for pennies, you know what I mean? Like those are the guys, the toughest fights, right? So I'm really glad I got to share the cage with somebody like that and. You know, it really it motivates me for future fights. You know what I mean? If I could, if I could take the talent I have and take the the grittiness he had, you know what I mean? That that that's a recipe for success, 100%. Now you have a bit of a foot in the door. You're going to be on the Dana White Contender Series on August the 11th. Um, you actually can become the first Canadian to ever win on the Contender Series. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, for me, you know what I mean. Uh, I fight for me. You know what I mean. I don't fight for Canada. I don't fight for Windsor. You know what I mean. At the end of the day, like. Yeah, I don't mind uh, repping the Canada and Windsor and all that, but uh, I'm the one putting in the work. So for me, the most important thing for me is just what's going to be in my head when I go in there is going to be, all right, TJ Laramie's day is today, and I, I deserve that contract, and it's been you know, a long time coming. So you had a bit of a rough road when you were younger. Uh, your grandfather, uh, your brother, and your mother all died within, I think it was the span of a year. Um, how hard was that for you growing up uh, to see not not just that but also the sadness that was endured afterwards in your family yeah man you know it, um, to experience such loss at such a young age I feel like it really built me up to be who I am now you know because uh, it's really like especially like in my mom's case where you know she kind of fell into addiction and stuff like that where I've kind of deetered away from that whole lifestyle and I haven't really been into stuff like that you know what I mean um, so it, it's really proven to be, uh, I've taken it and made the most of it rather than, you know, uh, being able to take something like that and following down a bad path, which m majority of people might've done, you know what I mean? So I don't kind of, I don't like, you know what I mean? I don't live in the past, you know, today's a new day and, uh, I'm not going to let someone else's misfortunes reflect on me. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like really reflect, uh, how how I live my life, right? So uh, I have my own life, I have my own story. So I I use the best thing I can do is take people's mistakes, you know, from that I know in my personal life, and make the most of that, you know. Did your um did your mother uh, always struggle with addiction, or was it as a result of your brother? Your brother tragically passed away from a heart condition that was undetected. Um, is that what kind of set her into a, a spiral of addiction? Uh, no, it was actually like, it was kind of always there, but it was like, you know what I mean? Amplified a lot more when, uh, as like her first son passed away, you know what I mean? So, um, I know I, I would never know what that feels like, but I'm sure losing a child is, is, uh, just devastating.
Absolutely. So you've had to overcome uh, quite a bit in your life uh, to get to where you are. And you, you mentioned to me before the interview that August 11th, the day you're going to be fighting on the Contender Series, is actually your mother's birthday. Coincidentally, also my father's birthday. But uh, what's it mean to you to be able to get in there on that day? Do you feel like that's almost um, too much of a coincidence to be uh, just, just a, a simple coincidence? And I don't know, like, uh, it's like picture perfect for me, you know, I, I feel like uh, I'm in the perfect place right now to make the most of the opportunity I have. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just excited to put on uh, performance. Uh, I've never been in this kind of shape. I've never been this ready for a fight. And uh, especially already this far out, I still got three more weeks to go. And uh, I feel like, like I almost wish the fight was sooner. That's how, how, how like ready I feel for this fight. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it being my mom's birthday and everything on that day, I feel like it's just, you know, it's it's meant to be. You're uh, in Las Vegas now uh, preparing for this fight. What, what's your training camp been like? Uh, obviously, everybody's kind of had to adapt to the current climate right now with uh, with COVID-19. How has that changed how you've prepared for this fight? Yeah, I've been, uh, well, it was almost impossible. It would have been almost impossible to train for this fight back in Canada just because Windsor barely even open. The gyms ain't even open there yet. So uh, coming here, you know, I've been training at Extreme Couture, um, uh, stopping by 10th Planet a bit here and there. And then uh, I brought my coach, Kara Rowe, um, Kara Rowe here. So uh, she's been helping me a lot. And uh, yeah, uh, basically, I, I just brought my coach from Canada here and we've been getting in good work. How far away do you think your brother Tony is from uh, getting a chance in the UFC? Obviously, the flyweight division is now growing. They just crowned a, a new undisputed champion, only the third undisputed champion in the history of the flyweight division in the UFC. Uh, what, what do you think that timetable is like? Uh, I think Tony is like in a similar place I was a couple of years ago, where it's like he has all the talent and the skill to be uh, competing with the best guys. But uh, I feel like maybe a little bit more uh, fights and a little more cage time. You know what I mean? The thing is about the flyweight division is that. It's um, it's like the shallowest division at the moment because there's just not as many guys at 125 as there is at like 35, 45, 55, for example, you know. Um, so he could get the opportunity like whenever based on like they just signed a three and one guy not too long ago, the guy who fought Tyson Nam. Um, but like, the thing is, do you want a guy? Do you want to sign someone early on in their career like that where they have hard fights? You know what I mean? My brother's still young. He still has, like, some development to do. Still needs some cage time. You know what I mean? I feel like he just needs a little bit more of experience, and then he'll be uh, he'll be ready to go. He has all the talent in the world to be the best, though. Is this the dream for you? Like, I'm sure that you've gotten offers in other uh, major organizations, maybe like a Bellator or, or PFL, but has the UFC always been what you've had your sights set on? Yeah, man. From the day I started uh, training and watching it, you know, that's basically where I've wanted to be. Did you have any other offers before that, before uh, this contender series? Uh, no, not really. Like we, like especially because, like we never really like reached out or like looked anywhere else. Uh, as far like my management team and stuff like that. Like I remember Robin Black talking about Bellator a bit and uh, trying to get in contact with like Rich Ch Chu or Chow. I'm not sure who the matchmaker is there, but, um, but you know what I mean. Like for me, it's just it, it's not. It doesn't sit right with me unless I'm fighting for the UFC. You know, that's my dream. And that's like, that's the pinnacle of the sport, regardless of what people want to say. Well, that dream can come true on uh, August the 11th. It's uh, yourself making your debut on the Dana White Contender Series uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, best of luck, TJ. We look forward to uh, watching you represent Canada. And uh, like you mentioned, representing yourself, making sure that you, you show the world uh, what you're made of and why you've been a, such a top prospect for such a long time. 
Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. All right, that was Derek Lewis, Chris Weidman, Scott Holtzman, Gavin Tucker, and TJ Laramie all joining me on the TSN MMA show. Thanks. If, uh, if you've gotten to this point in the show, I appreciate you checking out my interviews. We always enjoy bringing them to you. And uh, we have some more interviews next week. We'll have uh, Daniel Cormier on the show, Stipe Miacic, Sugar Sean O'Malley, and uh, a nice Canadian uh, athlete, uh, Jasmine Jazudovicius, will join us. She is fighting for the CFFC Championship next week. Uh, in the strawweight division, so look out for her, another rising Canadian in the sport. Uh, Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back next week.